Welcome in to Red Zone Radio. It is great to be here. Great to have you. Just a reminder, you can listen to Red Zone Radio on the iHeartReup, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere that you get your podcast. We have a great show for you guys today, recapping all of the crazy games that happened over the weekend. Ohio State's last second win over Notre Dame. Colorado gets absolutely dominated by Oregon. Alabama's win over Ole Miss and some key NFL moments as well. Pittsburgh going to Las Vegas, getting the upset. Miami dropping 70 on the Denver Broncos. We will get into all that on this episode of Red Zone Radio. So let's get into it. All right, first we're going to go to the big-time Ohio State-Notre Dame game. Ohio State travels to South Bend, and they win on a last-second play. There was one second left in the game when they scored that touchdown. And when you look at this game and, and you the biggest takeaways, obviously we'll get into what Ryan Day said, 10 men on the field for Notre Dame, but something else that really stood out to me about this game was that going into it, Yes, we all knew Kyle McCord. This was his fourth start, and Sam Hartman, we all knew, was the more experienced quarterback. And the advantage, we thought, would go to Notre Dame. Now, to Sam Hartman's credit and Notre Dame's credit, they still had, I would say, the advantage in terms of quarterback play. And I would also make the argument, he played really well. Sam Hartman played a really good, clean game. He did not make rookie mistakes. He did not make bad throws. He didn't get the ball stripped from him. So he was the experienced quarterback. However, I think what was a surprise was not necessarily Notre Dame's downfall or or Sam Hartman not playing that good as much as it was Kyle McCord stepping in and playing really good. And no, he didn't put the team on his back necessarily. And he wasn't, nor does he look, as talented as Justin Fields or CJ Stroud for the Buckeyes. But he stepped in in that moment. He didn't fold under pressure. He got the ball in the hands of his best players. Marvin Harrison, Ameka Abuka, Cade Stover. He got the ball in their hands. And while he didn't play a perfect game by a lot of people's standards in terms of there wasn't really a whole lot of downfield shots and they didn't explode on the offensive side of the ball. He made the throws that counted. And by the way, he's talented. He is extremely talented. Again, I don't think you see this driver just in fields. But he did what Ohio State needed him to do, and they won the game. And people are saying, well, it was a last-second win. Notre Dame lost the game. The reality is, even for Ohio State, it is hard, especially this year, Ask anybody in the country if they want to go to South Bend at night and play and try to beat Notre Dame with Sam Hartman at the controls. Because now this is no longer a team that feels limited in Notre Dame. I talked about this on Friday. I said, when was the last time I picked Ohio State? And I was wrong on a lot of my picks, but I did pick Ohio State because I thought they were the better roster. But I did say it wouldn't surprise me when Notre Dame won simply because of the fact of when was the last time Ohio State went into a game at a quarterback deficit. The Georgia game, they may have had the worst roster, but they had the better quarterback. The Michigan game, J.J. McCarthy's really good. I still argue C.S. Job was a better quarterback. Justin Fields, they the last time they had a quarterback deficit against a team that they played, I would make the argument was against Clemson. The 2020 Sugar Bowl, which they ended up winning. And then even when they played that unbelievable Alabama team, 
I'll make the argument Justin Fields is the better quarterback than Mac Jones. So this was kind of uncharted water for Ryan Day. He, he's only taken a quarterback that is worse a couple of times. They've never had the worst quarterback in a road game like this. It was a unique environment. And we'll get to the coaching mistakes and what Ryan Day said. But if you're an Ohio State fan, you have to feel really good, not just about this roster, but about Kyle McCord specifically moving forward. Because you know now, in gutsy, gutsy games and hard-to-win games when you're playing Penn State and when you're on when you're at Michigan on the road to, to wrap up the season and potentially in the playoff against the Georgia. It doesn't mean you'll win the game necessarily, but you have a guy that has now been there and done that. This was a good experience for him and, he, and a confidence boost for him as well because he didn't lose. Now, as far as 10 men on the field, Marcus Freeman has been a great coach. Notre Dame was completely blindsided a couple years ago, last year, I said the year before last year, when Brian Kelly decided to leave the LSU. I got nothing against Brian Kelly. He's a great coach. But LSU basically said, hey, here's a bigger paycheck. Will you come here? And Brian Kelly said, yeah. And you know what? I can't blame him. That money, that money that he's making at LSU, and even though he had a loss this year, the job he's done at LSU is remarkable. But Marcus Freeman stepped in, and they had a good year last year, and now we really realized it was a good coaching job because they could not figure out the quarterback situation. With all due respect to the two quarterbacks that were there last year, the the quarterback cycle that they tried to work, they had to go on the road to Columbus last year. They had to go on the road to USC last year. They had a lot of tough games, and some of those losses against Marshall were really, really bad. But they didn't have a quarterback. In today's football, in today's era of football, and specifically college football with the high-flying offenses, you need to have a at least a capable guy at quarterback. And they did not have that, and it was a first-year coach. And they ended up making a bowl game. And I believe they ended up beating South Carolina. So it wasn't a bad coaching job. And then he came in this year, and, and he's done really good. Now, they didn't play a lot of good teams, but he got he went in the transfer portal. We got Sam Hartman. He got him there instead of him going to Alabama or maybe even Ohio State or, or some of these other programs. He went in the transfer portal and said, hey, come to South Bend. And Sam Hartman was going to go pro, and he said, okay, I'll go to South Bend. And it's been a great year so far. And they were, and they were really close to being Ohio State. But I say all that to say 10 men on the field – in the most in the two most important plays of the game it was it was a hard watch trying to watch Marcus Freeman kind of explain himself out of that one i still think he's a great coach i still think Notre Dame is in the hunt this season for the playoff i still think all these things but it doesn't change the fact that that is an absolute blunder. There's really no other way to put it. It was bad. When you are on that stage, and you're at home, by the way, not that it's excusable if you're on the road, but you're at home. You have a chance to beat Ohio State for the first time since, I believe, Halloween of 1933 was the last time they beat them. You have a chance to not only kind of put a stake in Ohio State's season— but to really set yourself up now 
to where even if you lose to USC later on the year without a conference, you're in the playoff because you can say hey, we beat the we beat the Buckeyes and we went on to free the rest of the year, except for when we played the Heisman Trophy winner. And they may have won that game. They may still win that game. But that was an absolute mistake. Not to mention the fact that prior to that, they gave up a often intentional grounding. They gave up a that was a terrible route to give up to Emeka Abuka right in front of the end zone. But look, all that aside, you come out of this game for for the rest of this season and you think Ohio State, despite catching a break, Kyle McCord prior to that they had eleven men on the field. Forget the fact that they had ten men on the field for the time, for the final two plays. Do we understand what Ohio State did with the final four minutes of that game? Notre Dame was driving to win the game. And then JT, I'm not going to say his last name because it's hard to pronounce. But JT steps in. He picks the ball. Almost picks it. Drops it. And then they get a huge stop. The defense gets a stop. They have to punt the ball. Okay, Notre Dame had a possession right there to end it. Then they had Kyle McCord in a fourth and decent. They don't get it. They lose the game. Kyle McCord throws one of those crosser inside routes. They get a first down. The chains move. Even before those two plays, the play I just mentioned to Omeka Abuka, how do you let them? How do you let Ohio State get a first down that close to the goal line? How do you let them get at the hands of one of their best receivers and one of the best receivers in the country in Omeka Abuka? It was not good. It was not good. The fine you can make the argument yes, Notre Dame caved. Ohio State seized the opportunity. Ryan Day after the game was very adamant. Went after Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz, of course, was on Pat McAfee's show on Friday, and basically said Notre Dame's better team. Ohio State's been soft under Ryan Day. What I thought was really interesting about Ryan Day's comments, even though a lot of people aren't going to like it, and I'm not saying that it was that it was good or bad, but I will say this. What Ryan Day said will resonate in that locker room. And if it resonates in the locker room, it doesn't really matter what I or you or anybody else thinks of it. If it resonates in that locker room, those players are going to be ready to go the rest of the year. They've been questioned on their toughness. They've been questioned on how good they are because they've lost to a great program in Michigan two years in a row. Okay, it's not a good thing to lose to Michigan two years in a row. But that's a great program. And then they had a they, they gave up a double digit lead in the fourth quarter of Georgia. I can make the argument who even who even put themselves in the position to have a double digit lead against Georgia in the last couple years and really be that close to beating them. So and I'm not defending his losses, but Ryan Day has been absolutely taken to the woodshed by the media by the fans, by Ohio State fans, by everybody the past couple years. I'm not saying he's he's immune to criticism, but what he has done, even by Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh basically is making the third base comments. Okay, listen, we can say what we want to about Ryan Day and his record against Michigan. He's a good football coach. Every quarterback he has coached has ended up in the first round. I'm not, I'm not saying Kyle McCord ran up in the first round, but what I saw on Saturday was a pretty good player. Was a quarter, was a quarterback that did not get distressed easily and ended up winning the game for the Buckeyes. Ryan Day 
has been an unbelievable coach. And yes, he was handed the keys to a $2 million mansion. I understand that. He did not build Ohio State from the ground up. But I will say this. There is something to be said about the fact that if Urban Meyer, who I think we all think maybe the second, if he's not the second, one of the greatest coaches of all time at college football, if he didn't think Ryan Day could coach, he wouldn't have handed the keys over to him. So I think there's something to be said about that. And also the fact that Ryan Day, Urban Urban Meyer, nothing to do with Justin Fields being there. Ryan Day went down to Georgia and talked him into transferring to Ohio State. That was all Ryan Day. Emeka, Buka, Marvin Harrison, that's all Ryan Day. CJ Stroud, that's all Ryan Day. Nothing to do with Urban Meyer. So I'm not trying to make the argument that he had to rebuild the program, but Ryan Day has done a good job. And when he said that, the other thing that he was really talking about was not just Lou Holtz, but everyone was saying that Ohio State's been soft these past couple of years. And the one thing to think about is how did they win that game? They didn't win it off of a last second pass or anything like that. They won that game running the ball. And they also, the way the whole game was played, they went into South Bend and they said, okay, Notre Dame, you want to play this style? You you want to play a muddy game, a tough between the tackles football game, a time possession slugfest? We're going to play that game. And yeah, it took every second of them to beat Notre Dame. And yeah, they need a break to do it. But that is South, that is Notre Dame's bread and butter. That's not Ohio State's style of play. And they went into South Bend and beat Notre Dame at their own style. That's not Ohio State's style. But what they're showing you is, hey, we can play this way. And if you can play that way with the elite athletes they have on the outside, this team can beat any team in the country. All right. Moving on. Also, I do think Notre Dame could still make the playoffs. Ohio State obviously is in complete control of their own destiny. There's still a long way to go in the season. All right, another college football game that happened that had another coach taking some shots at the other team was Dan Lanning. Before the game, I'm sure you saw it, he basically said this game is going to be played in Hollywood. It's going to be played on grass. And they went out and they dominated the Buffaloes. It was it was pure domination. Now, I'm going to say this. I never thought Colorado was going to win this game. I thought it would be closer than it was. I thought they put up some points, but I never thought Colorado, nor do I think a lot of people actually thought Colorado was going to win this game. Going into that Oregon Stadium in Oxford, Oregon has one of the best home field advantages in the country. Not to mention, they have a great quarterback. Oregon's a good team this year, and we'll get to that. But in terms of this game, what does it mean that Dan Lanning went to his players pregame? And I'm not talking, this wasn't like a comment here or there. They had the cameras in that locker room. This wasn't like a comment, kind of an offhand comment at practice, him going up to the quarterback and saying, hey. We're going to show them how a real football team plays. Or going up to your quarterback and, or or maybe even your middle linebacker and saying, hey, we're going to show them that this game's not played on Hollywood. It's going to be played on grass. We're going to show them what flashes, okay? This was a cameras in the locker room flat out taking shots at Colorado. So what does it mean? 
Well, first of all, I think it means that Dan Lanning is not the only football coach that feels this way. Now, I personally, and I'm not a coach, but I'm saying I personally like to watch Deion Sanders' teams. I think it's been fun this year. I think it's been a great story. I think the shades on the sideline and all the flash. Yeah, sometimes I I do feel it's a little over the top, but what, what does that matter? I don't have a problem with it. But you know what? These other coaches, Dan Lanning, who had to work his way up at Georgia, some of these other coaches, even I'm sure Lincoln Riley, even though these are younger guys, they're kind of thinking to themselves, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. We had to work our way up. And not that Deion Sanders didn't. Not that Deion Sanders didn't. But he goes to the transfer portal. He gets a couple elite athletes on the outside. And all of a sudden, everybody's acting like Colorado's the best team in the country because they won three games and they had one upset win. We're going to show them how real football is played. I'm not saying that I agree with that assessment or that narrative. I'm just saying I think that I'm just trying to think about what they are thinking when they say these things. And in particular, Dan Lanning saying this because he's doing he's not the only one. But this is the second week in a row you've kind of seen a coach take a shot at that. Last week it was Colorado State's head coach saying, "Hey, I wear my I, when I'm when I talk to adults, I take my I take my sunglasses and my hat off." People do not like the Deion Sanders mojo uh, sideline antics kind. I, I don't want to say antics, but sideline flash. Other coaches don't like that, and so I watched this pregame speech. And by the way. He made it clear at halftime they weren't finished, and they poured it on Colorado. They did not stop in the second half. And I think to myself, as much as we all like Deion Sanders, and as much as I think this is a game that nobody expected them to win, the future, and I'm not talking about the future in terms of a couple years, I'm talking about this season. And I don't like to overreact to things, but they still got USC on the schedule this week. And I'm not saying Lincoln Riley has the same attitude towards it. They still have Whittingham later in the season to play. The Pac-12 is loaded this year. You don't think that some of these other coaches, and they might not go on camera and say, you don't think some of these other coaches feel the same way? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I like Deion Sanders. I think he brings that, and it's why he's going to recruit so well. It's why he will eventually be a power. But all this talk about he's a great coach, he's phenomenal. N- nobody was talking about Oregon. Dan Lanning kind of took it personally. Lincoln Riley can go to his team. They can kind of take it personally. Later on in the year when they play Utah, Kyle Willingham can go to his team. They can take it personally. Physical teams. Utah is very physical. That is where Colorado's weakness is. Their, their offensive line in the transfer portal it is not made to compete with the Oregons and the Utahs and the USC's of the Pac-12. It just isn't. So it's an excusable loss for Deion Sanders. But, and and even if they lose these next couple of games, even if they lose to USC, they're all excusable losses. He can lose the rest of these games and he would have still won three times the amount of games they won last year because they won one game last year. But I will say this. Don't think that this is the last time that's going to happen this year. I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm just saying I don't think that's the last time you're going to see a coach do that. 
and it might not be on camera like this was, but you're gonna see some you're gonna see some lopsided scores when they play these other teams, in my opinion. And I still love Colorado. And I still love Dion. That's just my prediction. All right, Alabama. Backs against the wall, cornered, got the job done against Ole Miss. I thought Ole Miss is, they came out swinging, they scored another touchdown. Their offense couldn't get anything going, and Nick Saban found a way to win with Jalen Milrow. Alabama's not out of the, the SEC or anything like that. Obviously, losing at home to Texas hurts them. And I said, I think Alabama's going to win this game, simple because I don't see Alabama seeing, I don't see Alabama losing two home games in a row. That just doesn't happen. Now, I still think they have problems on the offensive side of the ball. I still think they have problems with Jalen Milrow in their quarterback situation. I still think all of these things. But it doesn't change the fact that Alabama is going to find a way to win games. They might not win the national championship. They may or may not make the playoff, but they make no mistake about it. They will be in it at the end of the year. They're going to find a way to win some of these games that there are question marks about. And Texas is also a really good roster and a really good team as well. Alabama is better than we think. Their quarterback situation, I don't think they're better than Georgia or some of these other teams, but their quarterback situation is is still a concern. They're going to find a way to win games. I just don't know because now that they have that one loss, assuming they went out, which is a tough assumption, but assuming they went out and they make it to the SEC championship, they would still have to beat Georgia. Anytime Alabama and Georgia get together, it's going to be a heck of a game, but with the concerns that Alabama has a quarterback, if you look at the game Georgia has lost or really has come close to losing the past couple years, it was the SC Championship against Alabama the year prior. And they won that game. Why? Because they had an elite quarterback in Bryce Young. The game they came close to losing was the National Championship. Why? Because Alabama had Bryce Young. The next game they came close to losing was against Ohio State in the playoff semifinal. Why? Because they had C.J. Stroud in an elite passing game. This year, Alabama does not have that. And as much as Alabama is still physical on the line, I don't think they're going to go and out physical Georgia, if you will. They don't have the elite quarterback to take down Georgia. But they're going to be at the end of the year. As far as Ole Miss goes, that was a concerning loss because this felt like Lane Kiffin's chance. They're not necessarily out of it. It is one loss, and it's at Bryant-Denny Stadium. But it was a loss that you thought Ole Miss could have at least come close. And they really weren't that close at all in the second half. It was a concerning loss for Ole Miss. And I like Lane Kiffin, but it felt like this was their chance and they did not get it done. All right, let's shift to the NFL. I know the Florida State game happened. I'm not going to go too much in depth in that game. Only be I'll cover it really quick, but only because I don't think, even though it was a double overtime game, I think Florida State, as long as they would win that game, going into it, I thought, even if, and I didn't think it was going to go overtime, but even if it did go overtime, even though Clemson is not what they were, winning in Death Valley is hard. Beating Clemson is hard. And it felt like Florida State, it felt like it was going to be a type of game, and it felt like Florida State was going to have to win any way they could, and they did. And now they have wins against LSU and Clemson. Not a lot of teams can say that in the same year, especially in the playoff era. They're a legit team. As far as Clemson goes, I still think they're a really good team. They're not going to go to the national championship this year. They're probably out of the playoff. But, you know, Clemson is a team that I think is still really good. You heard the commentators say it multiple times. People are, they said, 
people are acting like Clemson's dropping like a rock. They're not dropping like a rock, but they're just not at that elite level. Clemson is a hard out to beat. I don't think their reign is over, right? Like their domination in college football in terms of just beating everybody, even the one year they poured on Alabama. I think that's over. I still think come playoff time, not not this year, but in terms of future, they're going to be a team to deal with. They're just not going to be the dominant force they were, which is fine. But I do think going forward, Brian or Dabble Sweeney is going to have to utilize the transfer portal. He's going to have to utilize recruiting more. He cannot do it this old style way, or they're going to continue to struggle like this. They're still a good team, but they're not a great team. Okay, shifting to the NFL. Miami Dolphins dropped 70 on the Denver Broncos yesterday, which is uh, just shy of an NFL record. Most points in a long time. They asked Mike McDaniel why he didn't go for the record, and he said, we didn't come to do that. So, we can we can talk about the we can attack this one two ways. We can talk about the Broncos issues or the Dolphins plethora of just elite talent. The Dolphins are going to be in it towards the end. They still have to take on the Chiefs and, and all that and, and we'll get to that. But in terms of Mike McDaniel Tua, Mike McDaniel is just ascending up the ladder of coaches. Tua is ascending up the ladder. Tyreek, although he's already up at the top. He's, he's working his way back to being the number one receiver in the NFL, or at least top two. This team is going to be a team that Buffalo's going to have to deal with. The Patriots already had to deal with them. The Jets are going to have to deal with them. But the other thing is, they've got a lot of speed, but they also proved to you last week when they played the Patriots, they can be physical. They proved to you what they can do against Denver by dropping 70 points on them. Do we understand? That doesn't happen in a college football game that often. Let alone an NFL game. 70 points. 70. That is unheard of. I think the Dolphins, while elite town on the outside, Mike McDaniel knows how to win. He knows how to put two not only in the best positions, but his receivers in the best positions. The defense is really good. That team is going to be hard to beat for the Chiefs, for the Bengals, for the Ravens, for whoever in the AFC, they are going to be unbelievable. And they're going to be in the AFC Championship, I believe. Going to the Broncos, they are an absolute mess. Sean Payton, and and I like Sean Payton, and I I liked him when he was with the Saints, but we got to be honest about this. He took multiple shots at the coaching job last year at Nathaniel Hackett. Just the worst coaching job that that we've ever seen in the NFL. I mean, he said that. He took multiple shots at not just a coaching job, but he he came in acting as if he knew how to fix Russell Wilson. Also, just a side note, he predicted last year, I saw a post, he predicted that Tua would be benched. Tua just hung 70 on him yesterday. He acted like he knew how to fix Russell Wilson, and he had the cure. And it's early, and I'm not saying that he can't fix the Dolphins. And I, I still think, not maybe not this season, I still think his run with Denver will be successful. But we got to be honest about this. He came in, he's got a big presence. He came in acting like he knew how to fix them. He was going to fix this coaching 
mishap, the terrible job that was last year. He was going to fix it. He knew how to how to push the right buttons with Russell Wilson, and they're 0-3. And I say all that basically to say Denver is, despite thinking that they had the quarterback right, is in a mess. And I, I also want to say this. I truly believe that when Sean Payton was saying that, and, and I know people are taking shots at him, and, I, and, and he does deserve a level of criticism because he flat out called them out for their coaching job. But I think when he said that, he was he was trying to defend Russell Wilson. He was trying to tell everybody, "Hey, Russell's still good." And I I think he I think he meant it for Russell Wilson. But now that you're sitting here on three, as we know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The Denver Broncos and his coaching job looks just about as bad as it did last year. Yes, the passer rating is up with Russell Wilson a little bit. The Broncos didn't give up 70 points last year. And I'm not trying to make the argument that Nathaniel Hackett is a better coach than Sean Payton. Sean Payton has a good track record. And I like Sean Payton. But he kind of had this attitude that, listen, if I was the coach, what happened last year would have happened. This was just a complete blunder by the coaching job, and it was last year. But... It's hard to defend those comments that he made prior to the season. Sitting here 0-3, acting like he was going to fix Russell Wilson and Denver Broncos with the snap of his fingers. It's a hard fix. I agree. But very similar to the Lou Holtz situation, what he said about Ohio State. Nobody forced Sean Payton to say the things that he said about last year's coaching job. Yeah, he was. you can make the argument he was baited a little bit by the reporter and Nobody forced him to say those things. He made it a point to say those things. And like I said, whether it was with good will towards Russell Wilson that he said those things or bad will towards Nathaniel Hackett, I believe it was with good will towards Russell Wilson, but it doesn't matter because what he said is now going to be played through the media over and over and over again until he has some success with his teams. And by the looks of it, it's going to be a long time until he has some success with Denver Broncos. All right. Monday Night Football tonight. We will get into some more of the NFL games next time on Red Zone Radio. Thank you so much for listening. We had a great show today. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great day, and I'll see you next time on Red Zone Radio.